0: celebration of advent this month as we prepare for christmas and this is the second week of advent which places a focus on love and love is definitely the characteristic that is most closely connected to god in first john chapter 4 verse 16 it says that god is love and whoever lives in love lives in god and god in them so we see that love and god are inseparable And that all love comes from God. And so, as I mentioned last week, we're looking at how these characteristics of Advent are shown through the ministry of Jesus. And so we're going to look at another portion of Scripture where Jesus brings love to someone who desperately needed it. And the passage we're going to look at is in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. And this is a passage that I don't preach on too often or even try to reference it for an illustration if another passage will work, just because it's not in the earliest manuscripts that we have of scripture. But it is such a perfect example in Jesus' ministry of the power of God's love and the way that it works. So again, this is John chapter 8, and we begin reading at verse 2 says at dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This story is such a powerful testament of the love of God. Because, let's be clear, There's no question as to whether or not this woman was innocent. She had been caught in the act of adultery. So it was clear that she was guilty of that act, not only a sin against God, but an act that was breaking the law of Moses that was given to Moses by God. She was clearly in the wrong, and there was no question about this. It wasn't just a he said, she said, or... No, there was no disputing. She was caught in adultery. And yet, we see Jesus showing her love anyway. That he comes to her help during this time when no one is helping her, everyone is condemning her, she's left by herself with no one to reach out to, and Jesus comes along and helps her during that time, even though she was guilty. You see, Jesus doesn't say, well, she's guilty of this crime, this is clearly a sin, and he's not debating that, and we'll talk a little bit more later about how he condemns that action that she has taken, but he doesn't allow that sin in her life, that mistake that she has made, to cut her off from the love that he has for her. And this teaches us about the unconditional love of God. That God loves us no matter what. It doesn't mean that he approves of everything that we do and that not everything is healthy for us to do, but that no matter what we do, God still loves us. And it takes that kind of unconditional love to help someone who is broken. Because conditional love, if if you apply conditions to your love, That kind of love will never be able to help people because it will expect people to be perfect before you help them. But if they're already perfect, then they don't need any help. But an unconditional love that looks past the mistakes that people have made, and it doesn't excuse them, again we'll get to that later, but it sees the person behind that mistake and recognizes that they are still someone who deserves love. That's what matters. And that's what Jesus shows here. So it's not a question of whether or not she's guilty. She is guilty, but he helps her even though she is guilty. He helps her in that brokenness. And so we can see that both of those things are true at the same time, that she's guilty and that she needs help. And we show that a little bit in our judicial system in the roles that are played by the jury versus the role that is played by the judge. See, the role of the jury is to determine, based upon what the law says, whether someone is guilty or innocent of a crime that they are being accused of. But when that verdict is reached, that doesn't mean it's the end of the trial, because before the trial fully ends, the judge has to apply the sentence. And so the judge is able to look at, look at the verdict that has been given, and they look at the person that is there, the crime they have committed, the whole situation, and they determine what sentence would be best for that unique situation. It may be to remove that person from society for the safety of others, or it might be for that person to make some kind of amends. Maybe it's Financially or by community service. But that trial doesn't end when the verdict is reached. The judge still has to apply what sentence would be best out of that verdict. And when you think about the crime that was committed, you think about the sin of adultery and where that stems from. Oftentimes, that stems from a desire to be loved that someone feels as though they are not loved in their marriage and they want to feel that love in their life and so they go out looking for where they can find that love outside of their marriage but it's driven from that desire more often than not I would say to feel loved and so there's a strong possibility That this woman, in this situation, had a need to be loved and to receive love. And I'm positive that Jesus recognized that need and came to her assistance, bringing her the love that she needed. Not just a sexual love, right? Not just a love of passion and desire, but a love of reaching out to her and helping her up. It was a love that recognized that just because she was guilty didn't mean that she was no longer important. And what a lesson we can take from that in the way that we treat other people, that we're not having that conditional love of saying, I'm only going to love you when you're innocent. I'm only going to love you when you're good. But it's a love that never changes. It's not approving of everything they do, but recognizing that the people who are sinning, the people who are making mistakes, are the people who need the help the most. And to love them the same way that God loves us while we are still sinners. And so Jesus gives her the love that she needs at this time, which is not what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were using the law. Now this law was still God's law, that had been given to Moses, but the Pharisees were using that law to condemn this woman. They not only wanted to be the jury that was calling her to be guilty, but they wanted to apply the sentence. And they wanted Jesus to do it with their suggestion of what it should be so they could trap Jesus. But what they wanted was very clear, that she should be stoned to death because that is what the law of God said. Now, it's important for us to understand the difference between the law of God and the love of God. Because the law of God should not be thrown out. It never becomes outdated. And to disobey the law of God is to disobey God. But it's important to understand the purpose behind the law of God and understand that it's a different purpose than the love of God. And, of course, to recognize that Jesus, as God, had the right and authority to circumvent the law because he was the one who put it into place. But let's understand the purpose of the law of God versus the love of God. Because the law of God is meant to move groups of people into righteousness, to break people away from destructive habits, from sinful things that will destroy their lives, and to move them into places of righteousness, things that are healthy and uplifting. That is what the law of God is meant to do, is to address that issue among groups of people, amongst the whole world. But the love of God works differently. The love of God Its purpose is to draw a person closer to him. So whereas the law of God is addressing things on a wide scale, the love of God is addressing the individual person. It's the same difference between giving a speech to a crowded room of people and sitting down at a table to have a one-on-one conversation with someone. The purpose is different, And so that communication, what is being presented, is also different. And it might consist of the exact same theme from the exact same speaker, but it recognizes that that situation is different. And so when you're speaking to large groups of people, you speak differently than you do when you're having a one-on-one conversation with someone because the setting is different. And so when God is addressing the issue of sin on a large scale, he does so with his law. And here we have Jesus as he is addressing the issue of sin in this individual woman's life, that he addresses it with love. Rather than that law that focuses on the large groups, and again, we don't want to circumvent that, but simply Jesus recognizes That rather than focusing on that group mentality at this time, it was more important to allow the love that focuses on the person. And it's very important that we don't neglect the person as we are looking at groups of people. And to understand that the methods used with a person is different than the methods most effective with people. Over the last few weeks, I've been watching videos from a conference, a church conference, where the focus was on reaching lost people and how we do that and what that needs to look like. And one of the common threads through all of these different videos, and that kept coming up again and again, was this idea that the church as a whole, the modern church, is really great at putting together programs but that programs are becoming less and less effective at reaching people. And it doesn't mean that those programs are not good programs, that they wouldn't be helpful if someone attended them. But what we oftentimes have happening is that people who don't know God don't want to step foot in a church, let alone sign up for a program with a church. And so the needs that they have are never met. They're never receiving the help that they need because these good programs that we have are never reaching them. And these programs are designed for groups of people, but there are so often missing the person who needs help. And I like to put it this way, that we have to be careful not to help over the top of people. We're not helping over the top of them. Of Let me be helpful. I've got something for you. I know what you need right now. Let me give you what you need. And we're doing good things and helpful things, but it's over the top of the person and it's not actually reaching the person who needs help or giving them the kind of help that they need. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into that where we are overlooking the person in front of us because we're too focused on big picture things. The Pharisees just wanted to point to the law that was meant to help people so that this wouldn't be a rampant issue throughout their culture. Because that would cause way more harm than good to have everybody going around committing adultery all the time, right? That's an issue that needs to be addressed for the good of the people. And the Pharisees wanted to point to that law that they were missing the woman in front of them. But Jesus saw her. He saw the need that she had, and he helped her when she was broken. But then, of course, in doing so, we see that Jesus doesn't dismiss her sin. He doesn't excuse what she has done. As he says, neither do I condemn you, he also says, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a second chance, but recognize that this is a second chance, that you made a mistake and this is a chance that you don't deserve, but I'm giving it to you anyway. So go and live differently. Don't fall back into what you have been doing. It's the same kind of advice that he gave to the man we talked about last week. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus isn't excusing her behavior. He's not saying, yeah, this is fine. It's not a big deal. Don't listen to these Pharisees and the law of God that they're quoting. You do you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this was an issue and I'm not condemning you. I'm not going, and by condemning, what I mean is, that he's not condemning the whole person. Clearly, because he refers to it as sin, he is condemning that action, but he's not condemning the whole person. He's not saying, woman, you are going to be stoned to death because of what you have done. He doesn't condemn her to death, but he recognizes that what she did was wrong, and she cannot continue in that. She needs to leave that life of sin. And that is very much just as loving as everything else that Jesus does here. Because love doesn't want people to stay in the bad situation that they're in. Love lifts people up out of those situations. It lifts them up into something new and something greater. And we really have to break this notion that the most loving thing you can do for someone is to let them do whatever they want. Because we as people are messed up. And the stuff that we want to do are terrible things most of the time. We are bad people. That's what it means to have a sinful nature. And so to say that, well, we just want people to do whatever they want to do, and we'll let them do whatever they want to do, that's not loving. That's just going to cause a whole lot of pain. And instead of saying to people, do whatever you want, we instead want to say, you can be so much greater than this. And I see so much potential in you to do great and wonderful things. And I want to help you get there. And this is the way that we will. This, These are the laws that God has given to us for the purpose of keeping us from falling into pits, falling into trouble, falling into pain and hurt and destruction. And instead, if you allow God to guide you into his paths of righteousness, you are going to be able to accomplish incredible things, and I want that for you. I want you to be the best, most incredible person that you could possibly be. I want you to be who God made you to be. And that calling people away from the slavery of their own desires and into truth and understanding and love and goodness and all the wonderful things that the blessings of God give to us. That as we lead people there, that is the most loving thing that we can do. It's kind of a simple and little silly example, but it's like if you go bowling and you put the bumpers up on the alley so that the bowling ball, when you throw it, it doesn't fall into the gutter. It's recognizing the goal of this ball is to knock down those those pins, and in order for it to fulfill the purpose that it has been created for, we have to make sure that it doesn't fall into the gutter. And those bumpers are not just—they're not just limiting and constricting because, you know, they don't want us to have any fun. No, they're helpful. They get that ball to where it needs to go. And that's how the law, of, law and love of God is meant to work. Both the law of God and the love of God is meant to accomplish that purpose of getting us to where we need to go for our own sake. And so in our love for others, we don't want to come against God in that way of saying you can do whatever you want. Instead, we want to cooperate and work with God to bring out that potential in other people, to call them out from where they are into something greater and say, let me help you with this. Jesus didn't just leave this woman where she was and to say that it was perfectly fine for her to just keep doing what she was doing. He didn't leave her there and allow her to be broken. He said, let me show you where you need to go. Go leave this life of sin behind you. Don't squander this second chance that I have given you. to you. Let your life be something greater. And let me help you in that. Because I want you to succeed. I want you to have so much more than what you have now. And that's what the love of God looks like for all of us. That God sees us where we are. He sees the mistakes that we have made, our disobedience, our rebellion, our laziness, our jealousy, our hatred of others. And he looks at us and says, you can be so much more than that. Let me help you into something greater because I love you, I care about you, and I want what's best for you. And it's going to be so incredible when you get there. Please let me help you. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the kind of love that Jesus showed to this woman. And it's the kind of love that we should have for others. So I want to leave us today with a very simple question to help us emulate the kind of love that Jesus displayed here. How can God use you to lift up a broken person? There are broken people all around us, and they need to be shown the love of God that says, I know you're guilty. I love you anyway. I don't just want to give you a one-size-fits-all, come-to-where-I-am solution. I want to help you where you are in the way that you need it. So let me help you. Let me lift you up into something greater. So I want you to spend some time to think about who in your life needs love. Who needs just a little bit of help to get by. Who is a broken person in your life and how can God use you to show them His love. So I highly encourage you to spend some time in prayer and think about that. But until next time, that is today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, I encourage you, if you have any comments or questions for me, you can reach out to me through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to like, share, rate, Uh, everything you can do with this message wherever you're listening to it at in order to help get that message out that message of love for everyone to hear but until next time i pray that god blesses you as you go throughout your day i hope you're enjoying this nice christmas season as it continues on and i thank you for taking the time to listen